Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. If you're visiting with us this morning, we want to give you a special welcome. And if you'd like any kind of information about our church, there's a little card in front. You could write your name on give it to one of the ushers, elders as you leave today. And we'll be glad to get in touch and let you know that we're glad you're here this morning. Today is Memorial Day weekend. And at our house, we uh, put our flag out. My wife puts that out every year, Memorial Day. And there aren't too many flags in our neighborhood out. But uh, we put it out there. And... Um, is sort of in memory and honor of our neighbors. My neighbor next door, Mac, his actual name was Arthur, but like everybody in World War II era whose name started with Mac something, they all were Mac, right? Uh, we always knew him as Mac. Uh, he was a World War II veteran. I remember one day when he was older, going fishing with him, sharing some of his accounts of his time as a corpsman in the South Pacific uh, during, yeah, uh, during the war. My neighbor back on the other corner, Mr. Elsie, Mr. Shea behind me, all World War II uh, combat veterans. And then on my other side to the west, uh, my neighbor, uh, Ben, who just passed away a couple years ago, uh, wounded in the Korean War. So we were kind of surrounded by uh, veterans. So we put our flag out, especially in memory of our neighbor, Mac, who every year put his flag out. Memorial Day, it's good for us to remember. Uh, Putting your flag out, uh, celebrating Memorial Day, it's not a political statement, anything like that. It's a, a statement of our solidarity with uh, our nation of those who have given their lives for our freedom. Just recently, when we were in Israel. We visited uh, Yad Vashem, which is the Holocaust Memorial. And I was struck once again, as you walk through that, when you get to the pictures of the uh, soldiers who came and liberated those camps, men like Jerry Snow uh, and Patton's army, these young men who were clear over across the ocean in a land uh, fighting to free uh, these people from a, from a, a whole different continent and uh, sacrificing their lives. And many of them did not come back. And so it is good for us to uh, pause to remember that the freedoms we have today um, were purchased at a price. Uh, Memorial Day began after the Civil War. It was called Decora- Decoration Day, where they would decorate the graves of those who had fallen in war. So it's good for us today to remember that. And also... It reminds me that as this passage that Jeff read this morning, that in the Old Testament there are several records of memorials, memorial stones, things to cause us to remember. We try to go visit the cemeteries on Memorial Day, my mom's grave, my dad's grave, and we'll be going with Jean Berg to her family's grave tomorrow. We try to remember these markers that remind us. And there's a story in Joshua, chapter 22, I'd like to use as our focus this morning, of a particular memorial stone, memorial marker, memorial um, altar we're going to see in Joshua, chapter 22. Uh, I I titled this, The the Story of the Almost Civil War, (laughs) the Battle of Shiloh, Almost. But let's pray. Father, as we open your word, we pray our hearts will be open and sensitive to your word this morning. And we pray for all those who are gone today. You'll give them safety and travel as they return to us. We look forward next Sunday as our choir shares uh, their wrap-up for the year and share several songs that they uh, they have been blessed singing and we have been blessed uh, listening to. 
And we look forward to continuing to worship and celebrate each Sunday the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, because we gather in his name and around your word this morning. Amen. So this particular account, Joshua chapter 22, really, it comes in sort of three acts, if you will. All right, three distinct epics of this story. So let's begin. We're going to read through this, most of it, but let's, let's begin. Chapter 22, verse 1. Then Joshua summoned the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Now you'll notice in chapter 22, just before this, you look at verse 44, the Lord gave them rest on every side. They have finished conquering the promised land. And so he gathers these two and a half tribes together and says, You have done all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. You have obeyed me in everything I commanded for a long time now to this very day. You have not deserted your brothers. You have carried out the mission the Lord your God gave you. Now the Lord your God has given your brothers rest, as he promised. Return to your homes in the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan River. Now, um, hey, Nick, you just kind of turn the lights down for me. I'd like to show a few pictures. And it's, it's, I think the lights can go down anyway because it's, this, this makes a little extra warmth here. But um, this is a, a map of, I'm not sure well you can see it in the back there, but of the, the dis- distribution of the tribes of the land of Israel. And the Jordan River and the boundary on the east, but Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh, Manasseh goes both sides of the river, they were given land on the east side of the Jordan River. For those of us who were there a few weeks ago, we traversed this whole area by bus. Uh, we came across here and traveled all the way down through those lands. These were two and a half tribes of Israel were given land on that side of the Jordan River. And as they as they were given, like, so I need just I need a little bit more light. Sorry about that. I didn't mean. <laughs> okay, all right. So um, you'll notice it says that, that as Moses gave you, and this goes back to Numbers chapter 32, where as they came, these two and a half these two and a half tribes asked if we could have land on the east side of the river. Moses gave them that land, but he said you have to come with us to fight on the rest of the side, and then you can return. So we are at this point in the story where they are now able to return back to their homes. And Moses commends them. You've been faithful. You've done everything you said you would do. You came and you fought with us. You supported your brothers. Now you can go back. But he says this, verse 5, Be very careful to keep the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to obey his commands, to hold fast to him, to serve him with all your heart and your soul. And then verse 4, after Joshua had blessed them, he said, Return to your homes with your wealth, large herds of stock, silver, gold, bronze, iron, and great quantity of clothing. Divide with your brothers the plunder from your enemies. The Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh left the Israelites at Shiloh in Canaan to return to Gilead, their own land which they had acquired in accordance with the command of the Lord through Moses. So the first half of the story, the first third of the story, has to do with Joshua commissioning these people, thanking them for their united service. They're all Jews, they're all Israelites, and they are now going back to their home east of the Jordan River. 
And there are places along the Jordan River, fjord, fjords, where you can cross the river and the sandbanks at certain tides, not tides, at certain times of the season, so long when the water's down, and they could cross that river, go back to their homes. But Joshua does remind them, as he reminds all the people throughout the book, only stay true to the Lord your God. Don't forget who you are, where you came from. And the rest of this book will have to do with Joshua commanding the people and reminding them of this commission, that they are to simply obey God. If they obey God, God has promised them that he will take care of them, he will protect them, he will watch over them, they will prosper. If they disobey, they will be punished for it. And eventually they lose the land because of their disobedience. So the first act of this story is Joshua commissioning them, sending them home, and they go back to their land. Verse 10. When they came to Galiloth, near the Jordan, in the land of Canaan, the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an imposing altar. And the Hebrew here makes it very clear. This was a big altar. This is not a small pile of stones. This is a big one. It's an imposing altar. There by the Jordan. Now, when they built this, they came back to uh, this one, this the red arrow there shows where the Israelites crossed the Jordan River when they came from the east, the land the Ammonites, and they crossed into the Promised Land. You notice that Gilgal, uh, right here, it's in this area somewhere on the west side of the Jordan River, on the other side, on the side where they were leaving from. This word, this word that's translated Gelilath is similar to Gilgal, it's similar to Galilee, it could be a region, we don't know exactly where it was, but clearly they built this altar on the other side of the river where the other tribes were. So we'll just assume where it's where Gilgal, that somewhere in that area on that side of the Jordan River, as the Jordan River comes right down through here, they built this altar over on that side, an immense altar, a big altar, a very large one. And when they built this, You'll notice it says then, when the Israelites, verse 11, heard that they had built the altar on the border at Canaan at Galiloth, near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole assembly of Israel gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. The nine and a half tribes are going to attack the two and a half tribes. They're going to go to war. It's going to be a civil war. First, they're at peace. They've conquered the land. They have settled the land. God has blessed them. And the first thing that's going to happen is going to be a civil war between nine and a half tribes. They gather together and they are going to go across the river and they are going to attack their brothers. These are Israelite brothers, the two and a half tribes that have, that have been given the land on the east side of the Jordan River. If we were to use the term the Cisjordan and the Transjordan. The Cis, we, we, actually that country when it was partitioned was called the Transjordan back in 1948. Cisjordan means this side of the Jordan. Transjordan means that side of the Jordan. The Cisjordan people said, we have to go and fight the Transjordan people because of what they've done. And he explains and he goes through and gives examples here. The Israelites sent Phinehas, son of Eleazar. He's the guy that stood up earlier in the Old Testament stories and delivered Israel by following God's command to destroy the Baal worshippers. The priests to the land of Gilead, to Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. With him they sent ten of the chief men, 
one for each of the tribes of Israel, each the head of a family division among the Israelite clans. This is, a, this is an important entourage. This is an important group that are going across the river to confront their brothers on the other side as to what they are doing. And they said to them, The whole assembly of the Lord says, How could you break faith with the God of Israel like this? How could you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar in rebellion against him? Was not this the sin of Peor enough for us? Up to this very day, we have not cleansed ourselves from that sin, even though a plague fell on the community of the Lord. And you are now turning away from the Lord. If you rebel against the Lord today, tomorrow he will be angry with the whole community of Israel. This is all of us. This is a solidarity. We are all going to feel the punishment for this sin. If the land you possess is defiled, come back over to the Lord's land with the Lord's tabernacle stands and share the land with us. But do not rebel against the Lord or against us by building an altar for you yourselves other than the altar of the Lord our God. When Achan, you remember the story of Achan, and he reviews that story of Achan and how the nation of Israel was punished for this one family sin that they had to confront. And then finally he wraps this up and says, Achan, he was not the only one who died for this sin. So the second act in the story is, as they leave to go back home, they stop on the west side of the Jordan and they build a large altar. And it is the word altar. It's the word that's in Hebrew used for altar. And then they go home. And they leave that altar there and they go back to their, their lands and to settle their lands on the east side of the Jordan River where they are now going to settle down, prosper, live, and this is going to be their future. The tribes on the other side, the nine and a half tribes, receive word, our brothers and sisters have built an altar in rebellion to God. They are already leaving the faith. They are already setting up an alternate altar from the tabernacle that we have at Shiloh, which God instructed there's only to be one high altar. There were small altars that were used throughout their story, but there was only one altar associated with the tabernacle. It was at Shiloh at this point. That's where the center of their religious life was. That was the hub. That was the Jerusalem, if you will, at this point in the story. And they say, these men and women are rebelling against God, we are going to have to go to war. We have to put an end to this because if not, the entire nation is going to be destroyed and is going to be punished by God for their sin. So they send this delegation to the other side. These ten heads with Phineas, Ten heads of the families and the clans and the tribes. And they go over there. And we continue the last act of this story. Then Reuben... Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh replied to the heads of the clans of Israel when they came over to inquire. The mighty one, and this is really, in the Hebrew, this is really emphasized, they're talking about God. You notice it says, the mighty one, God the Lord, the mighty one, God the Lord. I mean, can you catch the emphasis? You don't have to know Hebrew to catch that, right? They're really focusing on, wait, wait, wait a minute. We worship the same God you worship. We have not turned away to any other God. The Mighty One, the Lord, He knows. And let Israel know, if this had been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. If we have built our own altar to turn away from the Lord, to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, 
or to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it. May the Lord himself call us to account. If we've done this in rebellion, may God himself punish us. Let him strike us if this has been our motive, if this has been what we were up to. No, we did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? The word Lord, there's the name Yahweh. We, we say Jehovah, Y-H-W-H, however that was pronounced. We think it was something like Yahweh, his personal name that he gave to Moses. No, no, no. We have, we have, we have done this because we're afraid that at some point your people are going to say to our people, you have nothing to do with the Lord Yahweh, the God of Israel. They're going to say the Lord has made the Jordan River a boundary between us and you. You Reubenites and Gadites, you have no share in the Lord, especially those two because Manasseh has a half a tribe on the other side. You have no, you have no part in us. And he says, you have no share in the Lord, so your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. This is why, that is why we said, let us get ready, build an altar, but not for burnt offerings or sacrifices. There was, there was nothing sacrificed on that altar. If they'd have looked carefully, they would have noticed there were no burnt offerings. There were no marks that anything had been sacrificed there. On the contrary, it's a memorial. It's to be a witness between us and you and the generations that follow that we will worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings. We're going to come to Shiloh. We're going to come and offer to you sacrifices and fellowship offerings along with you. Then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share in the Lord. And we say, if they ever say this to us, to our descendants, we will answer, look, At the replica of the Lord's altar, which our fathers built, not for burnt offerings and sacrifices, but as a witness between us and you, far be it from us to rebel against the Lord and turn away from him this day. And when Phinehas hears this report in verse 30, the priests and the leaders of the community, the heads of the clans of Israelites, they heard what they had to say. They go back home and they say, Today we know the Lord is with us because you have not acted unfaithfully toward the Lord in this matter. Now you have rescued the Israelites from the Lord's hand. And they go back to report the news and the rest of the account here. And the people were glad and it says they talked no more about going to war. And absolute disaster was averted, fortunately, because somebody had the wisdom to send a delegation over and to talk to them first and to find out what this was all about. And it turns out their motive was that in the future, and generations in the future come to say, you have no part in us, we can say, look at the altar that's on your side of the river. That is a reminder that we worship the same God and that we are part of the household of Israel. You know, the Jordan River, our, our choir sang this morning a song about going down the river. My, I don't, I don't know the background of that song, but there is a history in a lot of Americana music of talking about the Jordan River. It's a natural dividing point. You know, when I, when I was a teenager, there used to be a song that was popular on Jordan's stormy banks I stand and cast the wishful eye to Canaan's fair and happy land where my 
Something lies. My future, my provision lies. I mean, this idea of the Jordan River as this side and that side, even in our kind of Christian folklore, if you will, is still something we think about today. The Jordan River. Um, the Jordan River, actually, as we learned when we were there from our guides, and actually you can see, this is, it's, we know about this in Seattle because of earthquakes, right? The earth plates. The Jordan River actually is the dividing, this Jordan, this, uh, this rift of the Jordan Valley here is actually the dividing plate between this plate, the Arabian plate, and the African plate. And they're moving. Just like we know about the Juan de Fuca plate. They are moving. It's the Jordan Rift, the Jordan Valley, that is even the boundary, the natural boundary of those two parts of the world. The Jordan River. There are places, I know you can't see this too well, but there are places up north. Uh, when we came right from the Galilee, the Sea of Galilee area, and began our first stop at the Jordan River, where it's very wide, the water is very, um, looks very, uh, looks like Green Lake kind of. It's green. There's a lot of it. It looks really fresh. There were these big fish swimming in there. They weren't salmon. I know that much, okay? Someone said they were um, carp or something maybe. I don't know. There were schools of big fish. I'm not kidding you. This big swimming. In the, we look down and see the school of fish that look like salmon in the Jordan River. Uh, up north, even today, it's it's wider and so on. But as you traverse south, it becomes to reflect the landscape of the of the more deserty part and yet it flows it's a natural boundary it flows all the way down through Moab through Ammon the Edomite territory it it continues even where it gets shallower it continues to divide the land it's the natural barrier between the east and west and yet clearly Moses gave these people land on the other side now let me ask you a question who was right and who was wrong in this story? Who do you side with? Were the nine and a half tribes right in their alarm and, their, and to the point of even going to war? I mean, they armed. They were ready to fight. They were ready to go. The armies were getting together. But they chose not to, frankly, because Phineas had the wisdom from his leaders to go over there and find out, and Joshua to send them over, find out what it was about. Do you think they were right in preparing to go to war? Is this a hill you die on? You know, we talk about that in battles. There are hills you die on and there are hills you don't die on. We've talked about that when we talk about parenting, right? There are times with your kids, your teenagers, where you say, this one we're going to die on. No, this is not going to happen. There are other times you say, okay, we'll work with this. That's the way it is in life, okay? Is this a hill you die on? Were they correct? Or do you side with the two and a half tribes? Was their logic correct? Was this wise? What do you think? Should we take a vote? Hmm, okay. Well, tell your neighbor. Who do you think? Who do you side with? You can talk for a minute. Tell your neighbor. Who do you go with? Do you think the nine and a half were correct? Do you think the two and a half were right? Or do you think they were both right? Ah, uh, you're all afraid. You're all, you're all saying they're both right, okay? <laughs> they're both right. Sort of like in Fiddler on the Roof. He's right, you're right, you're both right, okay? Well, let's look at it from their perspectives. Let's look at it from their, pers- pers- their perspectives. The nine and a half tribes had a legitimate concern. 
because God had told them clearly, do not build an alternate altar. Because if you do, you will be tempted to sacrifice to foreign gods. Or Listen, you know the story of the Old Testament. You know how the story plays out, most likely. And the story plays out that when all is said and done, in fact, it is idol worship that destroys Israel and they lose the land and are taken to captivity. That is the number one reason. It is idolatry. This is, an, this is a, a, a concern that is legitimate. They are, and, it's an, and you know, like I said, this is a good translation. It is an imposing altar. This is not a small monument. This is a big one. This is a big one. That is a replica of the altar at Shiloh. From their perspective, the two and a half tribes are guilty of treachery and rebellion. They have reason for concern. Now, as I studied this this week and did some reading and uh, some of the commentaries pointed out, and I, I have to confess, I'm going to kind of side with the two and a half tribes. Yeah, some of you are going, yeah, it's kind of like a baseball, you know, with the hat that goes around, and you know, you kind of, oh yeah, we got it. You know, I that didn't mean I'm right. I'm just telling you who I side with. Okay, I'm not the final authority on this. But I can kind of see their concerns because there is all sorts of innuendos, not only from the things that are said, but almost in the scripture, there's these kind of innuendos that this side, here's the Jordan River, okay, the Jordan River. The west side is Israel. The east side are the others. It's clearly an us and them mentality that is beginning. I mean, let's look at a few of these. Look at, look at, look in the passages itself. But first of all, let's consider this. God promised to Abraham the land of Canaan. The Jordan River was the boundary line. And in fact, in Numbers 34, you could take time to read this yourself. But in Numbers 34, when the boundaries of the land of Israel, the promised land, are given, there is a specific comment about the Jordan River being a boundary on the east side. It was two chapters previous in Numbers chapter 32, where the two and a half tribes requested of Moses, could we stay here? And he granted that. Moses granted it. It doesn't say specifically God, but Moses granted that. They conquered it. That was their land. We traversed that land. We drove all the way through that in Jordan uh, today. When did the manna stop for Israel? They ate manna for 40 years, right? Manna in the morning, manna in the afternoon, manna in the evening. 40 years. I'm sure they got very creative. You know, somebody should have made a church cookbook, right? What to do with manna. When did it stop? When did it stop? When they crossed the Jordan River. And they got to their side, manna stopped. Which indicates what? You are now home. You are now in Israel, if you will. Look at this account here. In Joshua 22, look at verse 9. 
the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh left the Israelites at Shiloh in Canaan to return to Gilead. There they left the Israelites. They left the Israelites. When they confronted them, and they sent the people over there, and they said to them, uh, we look at this, let me see the verse I wrote down, the verse, um, verse 10 and 11. The whole, the, when the Israelites heard that they had built an altar in the border of Canaan near Jordan on their side, the whole assembly went over there, and they said to them, to their, to their side, to the priests, to the land of Gilead, Reuben, and Gad. The other side is the land of Israel. This side is the land of Gad, Reuben, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. And they say to them, If this land, in verse 19, you possess is defiled, come over to the what land? What's it say in verse 19? If the land you possess is defiled, come over to the the Lord's land land, indicating that this is the Lord's side, you're on the defiled side. The Lord's land, is it unclean? There are all sorts of innuendos in this passage that the west side of the Jordan River, the west bank, if you will, this is the Lord's land. This is Israel. The east side is the other it's never even called Israel. It's always called the land of Reuben, Gad, and half-tribe Manasseh. This is Israel. And what happens is, I think in this story, and I think the two and a half tribes are beginning to sense this and beginning to see this, that what God intended for a boundary is becoming a barrier. The Jordan River was simply a boundary. It was a tribal boundary. For several tribes. But it's become, in their eyes of the two and a half, they're beginning to sense this is going to be a barrier. And we can see the day coming when those on the other side are going to begin to think of us as them and not us. And they are going to say to our children and our descendants, you have no part in us. You, you are them. And the Jordan River becomes a barrier to the unification and the unity of the nation of Israel. It was intended to be a boundary, not a barrier. And just reading through the the conversation that's recorded here, I could see how the two and a half tribes are beginning to pick this us versus them up. Israel, clean, other side unclean, Reuben, Gab, Manasseh, you've chosen to live there. Maybe you need to come back if you have a problem with this. Israel, two and a half tribes. Canaan, east side of the Jordan River. And I think they build this memorial, and our heart is right, and in some ways it makes sense that we want you to remember. And we put it on that side, not on this side. We put it on that side. So when they do come over, it will remind them, we are us, we are not them. The Jordan River was intended to be a boundary, but not a barrier. I begin to think about this a little bit. And, you know, the Bible says that all Scripture is given for our instruction, our 
guidance, our help to make us wise. God gave us the Old Testament to learn from and to make those applications. And I, and I began to think about this a little bit. You know, we have our boundaries, don't we, in the church today? Even in our church, we have our boundaries. I come from a particular cultural background that I was raised in. My wife has her background. You have your background. There are, there are different boundaries we have. We have different histories. We have different likes and dislikes. We have different traditions. I was just thinking, I'm not I'm sure what we went to my mom's grave the other day, and I was thinking about how when I grew up, I got when I was in junior high, I used to like to walk up to the Grand Theater and watch Elvis Presley movies, right? They were not that great of movies. You look at them now, I think, whoa, you know, but but Elvis Presley was in them, you know. Um, we took my mom to see Sound of Music downtown at the Fifth Avenue or something. She was not comfortable. She didn't enjoy that movie. Is is sound of music detrimental to our health? <laughs> okay. I mean, my grandkids have watched it. But she was raised in a situation where you didn't go to movies. That was her background. She allowed me to go, but she wasn't really comfortable. But that was, it was a boundary, not a barrier. We have different backgrounds here. We have all sorts of different cultures and backgrounds and and we have our normal boundaries, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. We have our likes and dislikes. We have our, our things that are normal to us. And when we get together in a, in a family, and we get together in a family of God, we get together in community, these boundaries, these cultures, these personalities, whether it's genders, tradition, ethnicities, whatever the boundaries are, they are never to become a Jordan River barrier. Boundaries are not to become barriers. What are the false assumptions we make about one another? We can make false assumptions about each other, can't we? We can watch another person doing things. um, Josh spoke last week from Galatians about the freedom we have in the spirit and the different things that some examples of that. We have cultural boundaries that you and I, I grew up a certain way, you grew up a certain way. Different parts of the country have different boundaries. We, we can make judgments on each other. and We can assume we know why those people do that. If they were just as spiritual as us, they certainly wouldn't do that, would they? They would come back over to the other side. And I'm not talking about areas of clearly moral issues. You know, if someone decides to steal, that is not a matter of judgment. That is a moral issue. We have the Ten Commandments, right? They're pretty clear. But there are other things, and Paul encouraged, encountered this so many times in the epistles, and we see this, where we talk about our freedom and our responsibility. We should be careful about making judgments, making assumptions about why people do the things they do or think the things they do. What are the Jordan rivers for us today? They might be small. They might not look like much right now. What are the things today that can become barriers instead of just boundaries that we are okay with. I think of some of the things today, and I, and I thought about this in connection with Memorial Day. How do we honor Memorial Day, which I think we all should? I mean, people, young people especially. I look at the young people here today and I think, you know, gone. Dying. On faraway shores. Faraway shores, 
Memorial Day started within our own shores of young people dying in our own country. The first, I think, the Battle of Shiloh in the early battles of the Civil War were more Americans killed than all the wars put together up till that point. One battle in our own country. How do we honor Memorial Day today? Should we remember it? Yes, I think we should. Because those who died when all was said and done, they died for freedom. It didn't matter, you know, people that have died in wars come from all political backgrounds, right? They come from extreme right and extreme left. And they come from everywhere in between. But they have given their life so that we could have our freedom and maintain and other people could enjoy freedoms. The freedom that comes with responsibility, free to have our opinions, free to engage freely in discussion, Free to understand we can have different opinions on non-essential moral issues, but we can have different opinions, different backgrounds. This is what is freedom is for. And we honor that today by not jumping to conclusions about each other, but by embracing those differences and growing together as a people of the Lord, a united body of Christ. We have the opportunity, I think of all places, to be a witness, not only to our world, but to our community today. We talk so much about the division in our land, right? We hear so much about that. We hear so much about the the, un- the, the unability of people to work together, of having different opinions and working through. There, this is such a big thing today, and yet we as a body of Christ, of any place, have the opportunity to model to our community what it's like to be a unified body and have different opinions. We can have different opinions. We can have different cultural opinions and political opinions. We can have our own thoughts on these matters, and we can discuss them and not get angry with each other, and we cannot assume we know why their person thinks the way they do. This is not us and them in the body of Christ. It is only us and we. And I know someone might be thinking, that's right, Pastor Jim, let them have it. Okay? Let them. No, no. There is no them. It's you. And it's me. We have the opportunity. I, I was really struck by this when we were in Israel and talking to us. We had a chance to meet with some of our missionary friends that we've had here in our church and others that we've connected with. We had a chance to talk with our guides and so on who were in, were in Messianic church communities. We had the lady here this last spring who works down this. And to hear how they talk about working with the different, in a, in a place that where there is so much division, we hear about all the time. And yet it's the church there, the body of Christ, that has the opportunity and is showing to people that it's not Jew and Arab, Jew and Muslim, Christian and Muslim. It's people coming together as members of the body of Christ and sharing the good news and being a local body that shows we can live together, we can be together, we can love each other. And friends, we can do that here. Let me close today with where Josh left us last week in Galatians. And in chapter 3, this, this was a huge issue in the early church. You know in that early church, you read this up and down throughout the epistles. We see it at the Jerusalem Council. We see this us and them mentality working both ways in the body of Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, 
a hallmark passage for the church, the body of Christ. You are all sons of God, verse 26. Through faith in Christ Jesus, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. You put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. These boundaries, these ethnicities, these cultures that were there disappear when Paul says, you are all children of Abraham. Why? Because Abraham is the father of all who come by faith. He clearly says this. This is what binds us together, is the simple matter that we have come by faith. And he concludes in chapter 5, and in verse 15, 13, you brothers, verse 13, Josh reminded us last week, you brothers were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge a sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out. You will be destroyed by each other. And then finally in verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit. So I want to conclude today by saying I think the best way for us to honor Memorial Day, and I think we should, I think we should take time tomorrow especially and have a quiet moment to just reflect. People died. People died. People here have served and put themselves in harm's way. Because freedom is something that is important to us from our Christian heritage. It's important to us. We should honor this and we should remember this. And we should also remember we don't have a stone We don't have a marker stone like they had. They named that stone. They gave that that stone a name. And the name they gave it was this. And the Reubenites and the Gadites gave the altar this name. They named it. A witness between us that the Lord is God. What's our stone today? Where do we go to be constantly reminded that we are one and the Lord is our God? Even with our differences, we are one. Friends, that stone today is the message in God's word of the church, the body of Christ. Where Paul tells us, we have our differences. We have our different functions. We have our different ministries. We have a lot of different things. But when all is said and done... We are a body, the body of Jesus Christ. Friends, we are the stone. We are the monument that God has written on. We serve one Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to be reminded of that daily. This is who we are. Let's not let boundaries become barriers. But let's cross those and show to the world that we can be one in the Lord Jesus Christ. Gary, come up and lead us in our closing song. Next Sunday, our choir is going to share a special selection of songs. We're going to share a little bit, some reflections. Uh, Some of you asked about this, connected with Scripture from our recent uh, trip to Israel. 
that we want to share a little bit as well. So come and join us next Sunday. Let's close our service. Please stand with us as we sing the solid rock, a reminder that in spite of all of our differences, uh, it is Christ that unites us. Today, on this Memorial Day weekend, enjoy the beautiful weather. I can't tell you enough. Go to that book sale. I'm telling you, this. I think it's the best selection we've ever had. A dollar a book. I can't. I should have brought some more in to auction off in here. Nobody wants the book on golf by Sam Snead. Playing out of sand and hazards. I mean, you know, this is odd. This is it. Okay. But there is a ton of good books in there for a dollar. But the best thing is the money goes to our missions work that our WMF, Women's Missionary Fellowship, supports. And it, it's a great ministry. So go buy some books. Enjoy your time together. Fellowship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, your love for us, your compassion. We're thankful you've called us into a body. Lord, I thank you for the differences in the body. Thank you for the differences in our families and our loved ones. Because, Lord, uh, it's those differences that, that make us so beautiful, that make us so unique, that we can draw together and make use of those differences, those skills, those, those abilities, those, those interactions that make us better. Because you are the head of this body. And you have called us and you have placed us all in this body where you want us. And Lord, if there be a person here today who is not part of this body of Christ, it's our prayer that they would respond in faith to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ came to earth, God's own son, died on the cross of Calvary, rose from the dead, paid for their sin, paid for my sin, and offers us eternal life, salvation, and joins us to this wonderful body, the church, the body of Christ. May we be a representative of you this week. We do pause, Lord, and we do honor, and we do give thanks, and we do think seriously of those who paid the ultimate price of giving their lives for the cause of freedom. May we be responsible citizens of this country and participants in this community May we be responsible, may we be thankful, and may we be examples of your love and goodness. In Christ our Savior's name we pray. Amen.